Hi, you're listening to the Raise the Vibe with Liz podcast. I'm your host, Liz Peterson. I interview today's inspirational speakers and healers. Thank you for listening to the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Raise the Vibe with Liz. I'm your host, Liz, and today I have Catherine Almond LMFT with me today. Super excited. We're going to be talking all about Tantra, which is super fun. I took her workshop in the beginning of November, which was Tantra and the Psychedelics of Sex, which popped up on my Eventbrite feed the morning before it happened that night. I was super (laughs) curious. So I signed on. I've dabbled a little bit in Tantra through the spiritual side with Raja Chaudhary who does Awakening Your Kundalini and does the Tantra practice and study with Ananda Institute, the Raja Yoga, which comes from the Tantric lineage I just learned while attending um, the One World Tantra Festival hosted by Eugene Hudlin and many others that just ended um, the end of November. So fascinating. So I'm super excited to have Catherine with me today. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Catherine Allman, LMFT, which is Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist, is a spiritual psychotherapist and the director and founder of the Transpersonal Center in Los Angeles, California. She has advanced training in traditional psychology as well as the wisdom traditions. Catherine lived for a year at the Osho Ashram in India, a full-time immersion in Tantra and meditation, and she has studied and practiced Tantra, love, sex, intimacy, and seduction with numerous teachers. Catherine, super excited to have you on the show. And I am super excited to be here. Thanks for asking me, Liz. (laughs) Yeah, great. So how about you share a little bit about your background? I know I just shared a little bit, but what was your journey to be teaching this? Well, um, I started really about 30 years ago. I ran into, uh, I was in a bookstore and I saw a book uh, called The Book of Secrets by Osho. He was then called Rajneesh of the Wild Wild Country fame. And, and uh, I was just mesmerized by his eyes and the photo. And I started reading uh, The Book of Secrets, which is all about tantric philosophy. And um, tantra was not a household name at that time. But I really resonated with that um, whole concept that sex is sacred. It just had always seemed that way to me that there was something more going on than what we were told and that there was something uh, divine about it. And I just um, really always was a little bit outside the mainstream that way, being very curious. Uh, Sex seems spiritual. So I uh, pursued that um, off and on. I I, um, went both routes, uh, uh, outside the mainstream route with Tantra, meditation, which used to be outside the mainstream. It's hard to imagine now, but... Um, uh, going to Tantra workshops when there were only a few instead of a lot like now. And then also at the same time, I was kind of in the closet about all that because I was also pursuing this um, licensed psychotherapist because I just really wanted to be able to help the people who came to me. I just really wanted skills to be able to know what's really helpful. So I did both of those at the same time. And now later in life, I've been able to get out of the closet and just say, I do all of this. Nice. I do all of it. So tell us a little bit about the history of Tantra, because in the sutras out of 112 of them, only five, you know, are sacred sexuality. And as we all know, or maybe not all know, those were actually taken by an Englishman over to Europe. So why don't you give us a little bit of background and the difference between traditional and, um, what's being called neo-tantra these days sure um tantra everybody thinks immediately when they hear the word tantra they think sex and they usually think weirdo sexual positions and stuff and that is like probably about five percent of tantra it's obviously the most inflammatory and sells the most books and so on but it is a very small portion and it really goes back to the um scholars are saying saying maybe as much as six thousand years ago Um, Osho says that uh, there are basically, if you boil all religions and spiritual traditions down, there's basically only two, the yogic and the tantric. And these words today are interchangeable, but stay with me just for a sec. 
the yogic paths would be all the ones where you have to do something to get to God or to evolve or to achieve enlightenment. So you have to eat a certain way and you have to follow these rules and you have to uh, wrap yourself up into a pretzel. And I'm not, yoga is great, but I'm just saying there's all these things you need to do. And so this would um, even boil down to um, new age spirituality where I don't know about up there on Vashon Island, but here in LA, it's like in this coconut water, you're more highly developed than this coconut water. <laughs> it's like, gets down to these levels of, of progression along a path. And some of the rules are kind of arbitrary, but anyway, the tantric tradition is that you don't have anything. Everything's already perfect. It's just that we're blind to that fact that everything's perfect. So if I can relax totally into this present moment, everything is perfect. It's hard for us to see this because our minds aren't really, our minds don't like this or that, or it's hard to figure out how genocide could be perfect, all these kinds of things that totally make sense. But this is that mindset. So if everything's perfect, then sex is also perfect. So when the early tantricas were saying sex is perfect, this other people were like, they're into sex. It's like, well, we're just into sex. Like everything's perfect. Everything's sacred. Everything's sacred. They're saying sex is sacred. So that's where this whole split started in the way my understanding is. So they wanted to pleasure wrong. I don't know, but the, the uh, religion I grew up in, pretty much if it felt good, it was bad. <laughs> You know, if you were having too much fun, if you were doing this and that, sex was only supposed to be done by married people, probably with the lights out. And, and uh, you know, e even drinking coffee for some people is wrong. And all these kinds of traditions that certainly help lots of people, it's not a tantric philosophy. The tantric philosophy is in this moment, what uh, if I really relax into it, it's super pleasurable, super... Perf everything's perfect. And Tantra is practices, mindsets, experiences, breathing to get to that state of understanding that everything's unfolding perfectly as it should. That's beautiful. I love that. And I love being able to bring sacred sexuality, you know, into my life and kind of unwrap all of those negative belief systems, you know, that we've inherently grown up with. Can you unwrap that a little bit more and how those belief systems can affect us? Well, sure. Uh, uh, there's so many. And like you say, some of the Tantra work is psychological and un unwrapping some of these things, these ideas that, you know, I talk about this in my seminars that uh, sex gets worse as you get older. Sex, people become less attractive as they get older. Um, sex uh, deteriorates in a long-term relationship. Uh, uh, you shouldn't, you know, people are, especially women are shut down. It's getting much better um, amongst the people we know, but certainly women are told not to say what they like or don't like. Mm -hmm. um, men are taught that they are sex machines, sex animals, only want one thing. You know, I have never met a man who only wants one thing. And I used to hang out, one of the unusual things about my um, resume is that I um, <laughs> hung out with the guys who are pickup artists and took a lot of training on how to do pickup because I, in my uh, quest to understand sex, love, and romance, I felt like I'm too shy. I don't even know how to go up and talk to a man I find attractive. So I went into the den there of all these womanizers and just uh, wanted to learn how they approach people. And um, <laughs> it's actually very helpful. I recommend it to women. But anyway, um, even those guys, of course, they're looking to fall in love. Everyone's looking to fall in love. So all of these uh, prejudices, these ideas we have about sex, this idea that orgasm is supposed to be the crowning achievement of sex, the idea that we should always do it in the same order. We should always do foreplay. She comes, he comes, it's over. This kind of, at least that's better than when it used to be. It didn't matter if she came, but it's still this formula that gets very boring. Um, and uh, so all these kinds of ideas we try to unwrap, we try to unwrap uh, prejudices that women have against men, that men only want one thing, the prejudices that men have against women, that it only matters how they look, all these kinds of things we unwrap in Tantra workshops to help, help us get so we can really sit with another human being in love 
in love, whether we're in love with them or not. Right. So we have to, a lot of unwrapping. I just did a video for my YouTube channel on confronting our internal ageism because, uh, because of the ageism of the culture, we find ourselves less attractive as we get older. And we are not, in my, estim in my estimation, people get more attractive as they get older. As I've cleansed my own eyes, I used to think it was terrible to get older too, but as I really worked on this in myself and with some of my patients, I realized I don't think people get, my eyes do not see people as getting less attractive anymore as they get older. I see the wisdom, the experience, the sense of humor, the relaxation. And if people have uh, kept their bodies alive and work to raise their consciousness, they become wildly attractive with a radiance that younger people, I'm sorry, just don't have. Right. And I think that really is a cultural thing, how women start to not feel valid when they reach a certain age and then men start dating younger women. You know, it you know because we've all heard this thing uh, that in France or Italy, the sexy, hot, older woman. And we haven't had that much here. It's getting a little bit better, but mm -hmm. until we change it on the inside, it's not going to really change on the outside. Actually, statistically, of course, there are men who like younger women, but no, nobody's counting the men who prefer older When they actually do uh, studies, they found out that the vast majority of men prefer a woman around their own age. Nice. So this cultural stereotype constantly being blasted with that men only want younger women is actually in practice not true that's actually not true good to hear certainly that's great men. yeah so that's there certainly life are life. men i'm sorry go ahead there certainly are men you there certainly are men with that fetish but who cares about them who cares they can have their fetish doesn't bother me i was single for working really hard at it for a while and it's like those are not my men it's okay yes and I personally felt great in my 40s. My 50s are awesome. It just keeps on getting better and better, I think. And it can keep getting better. Yes. Awesome. So let's go into um, Tantra as a comparison between this goal-oriented, performance-based, you know, sex that we're used to and unwrapping Tantra and what it can bring into our sexual lives. Oh, that's great. That's one of my favorite topics. I made a... Um... A card, an info card for that workshop on uh, the, uh, how do you compare conventional sex and tantric sex. And one of the main things is that conventional sex, we're taught that uh, the goal is orgasm for both the men and women, and that's when it's over. And this idea actually was only propagated uh, by the um, Masters and Johnson back in the 70s. Not that there haven't been people that have seen sex that way, but that fact that that became the whole cultural, duh, that's just the way it is sort of idea actually started back then, that recently is that. The tantric worldview is orgasm is, but that's not the goal. In fact, we often choose not to have orgasms because we would rather get on what we could call an orgasmic wave. That's like a wave that's going on in the universe all the time. And if you just can get on that orgasmic wave and not orgasm, that can last for hours and hours and hours and actually probably never stops, but we just get tired <laughs> and we, we are like exhausted. Um, and that is what we find far more pleasurable than orgasm. Orgasm-based sex does get boring in my experience and from what I've read about, it's just the same thing over and over. And this is probably why people get bored with conventional sex because it's like, we're doing that thing again. Um, you know, I've had a, um, yeah. So anyway, so it's that you drop the goal. And when you drop that goal of orgasm, so most sex, most conventional sex is every touch that I give to my partner, I'm trying to get them towards this goal. And when First, I started experimenting with, if we're not trying to get to that goal, how are we being together? It's a totally radical, different. Every touch is different. The experience of every touch, if I'm not trying to get you to a higher state of pleasure, is it's like apples and oranges. And it becomes this entire different way of relating where what's important, the goal, you could say, it's not a goal. What is important in that moment is my connection with my partner our connection. That's where the sacred thing is. That third thing. So we've all heard this sort of thing. One plus one equals three. That third thing is that 
utterly divine spiritual connection where our egos aren't there. We're just there in this cosmic bliss together. And that is uh, more likely to come when you practice being in that meditative moment, which if we, you know, a lot of the great teachers will tell us in this moment, just keep being the power of now, let's just be in this moment. And so we try to bring that sort of meditative consciousness to sex of just being in this moment, not in the future when we're going to come, not in the future when we're going to have our, are we going to have the biggest orgasms ever? Oh no, it was disappointing. We're not trying to go there. Just trying to be here, present, feeling the perfection of this touch right now. That is immensely amazing. It changes everything. And then you, um, so practice as you're doing meditation. So most meditation has to do with, oh, I started thinking about lunch. I'm going to come back and be here right now. Oh, I started thinking about my project. Oh, I started criticizing myself. Well, those are just thoughts. I'm just going to come back to this present moment. So the same thing Osho said, uh, meditators have the great set, greatest sex because we practice that meditative attitude in life. We practice perhaps meditation. Then we bring that to the bedroom. So if I'm uh, with my husband and we are starting to make love and I start thinking about something, oh, back to the present, where are our skins touching? Oh, it's so exquisite. Well, now I start thinking about the thing I have to do tomorrow. Oh, oh, back to the present where our skins are touching. And this, after a certain amount of time, the mind will actually realize that it's not invited. So it will, <laughs> it will move to the backseat of the car. And then you can just float in this uh, sensual bliss with your partner in a way that conventional sex doesn't offer. It's, um, it's great because... Um, <laughs> I like to make this joke that meditators sit, you know, facing a wall and uh, closing their eyes and um, being alone and lonely and so on. And great, that's helped many, many people. But tantricas meditate by making love. Oh, that's my choice. <laughs> I like that a lot better. <laughs> I do. And you can bring in um, with that sexual meditation manifestation which I find very fascinating. So what do you mean by that? Um, the practice of um, manifesting things in life through our sacred sexuality. Do you um, teach it all on that or have any information? Well, I actually, um, actually I don't, but I have noticed that when you start raising your frequency in this way, when you start living in love, when you start living, um, there's nothing wrong with goals, but without goal-oriented sex, without goal-oriented this in this moment. I mean, I have a new book I wanna finish and so on. But when we can stay in this moment with the process and when we uh, start allowing our bodies to ha uh, live in more pleasure and more, uh, more awareness of the sacredness of life, I think life manifests as it does to a person who is expecting life to be full of more bliss. So I don't really, I know some people target on certain things they want. And I just feel like I already have everything I want. If more comes, that's fine. If it doesn't, I'm fine too, because this moment is just utterly blissful. I so I think that by, see that when we talked before, when you asked me about um, the, the conditioning of the conventional world, one mm -hmm. thing that they're conditioning us is against living ecstatic lives. And Margot Anand, one of the uh, great uh, teachers of Tantras calls them the anti-ecstasy forces. I love that phrase. Oh, I like that. <laughs> so she's always like, beware of the anti-ecstasy forces. You know, they don't want you to be too happy because if you're really, really happy, you won't buy anything. So um, <laughs> they want you to always continually be unhappy and need to buy more stuff. So you just want to notice where in your life you are being shut down your natural exuberance you know you look at dogs are just like so happy today's the best day of their life right and actually we're like dogs today's the best day of my life but this the mind is always telling me why it's not because it's you know I didn't win the lottery today and it's raining and it sucks and it's like it doesn't really suck but the mind will tell us it does 
<laughs> Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> and I like the previous outlook much better. <laughs> More fun. Yes. <laughs> but it is, it is a discipline to get there. I don't mean to um, minimize or say that it's not um, years and years of effort, um, years and years of cutting away what is not us. I was in therapy for decades and personal growth work for decades and confronting my um, messages I got from my parents, messages I got from the culture that have not been helpful, uh, spiritual search, spiritual um, disciplines, trying things, finding out what worked, what didn't, body awareness. So it's, um, it's a journey. It's yeah, a journey. But here. as I like to tell people, it's, when, you, when you get there, it's like everything was worth it. Everything. Yes. It is a journey and a continuous journey because you're unwrapping and unraveling and peeling away the layers. And as we age and we reach these new decades and we're almost spiraling around and unwrapping something new, you know, a different perspective on what we were working on, say in our thirties, forties, twenties also. Well, that's another one of the big lies, because if you are really a person working on yourself, life gets better and better and better. And they're telling you it gets worse. And it doesn't. I was just thinking this morning, the only thing that I think is different about being my age and when I was younger, the actual only thing is that it takes longer to heal from a sports injury. Yes. But other than that, everything else in my life is better than it ever was. And no one told me that that was even a possibility. Yeah, no one told me that was even possible. Mm -hmm. And they just tell you it gets worse. And they tell women their faces are getting ruined and aging and this and that. And it's like, no one ever tells you that the possibility is that life could get better and better and better. And sex could get better and better and better. My husband and I are in our 60s. We're having the best sex we've ever had. We've both been sexual people all our lives. It's not like it's, we suddenly discovered it. It's like it keeps going to deeper and deeper levels. And I, uh, my spiritual master says, you have until your last breath to so planning on planning on uh, taking advantage of that. <laughs> nice. You broke up just a little bit. Can you say the end of what your spiritual teacher said one more time? He said, you have until your very last breath to evolve. There we go. And I plan on taking advantage of that. Yes. Me <laughs> it's a beautiful journey. I'm really enjoying it. And I will last <laughs> breath. Definitely. So in the workshop that I took from you, um, Tantra and the psychedelics of sex, you also talked about transcendent sex. Can you unwrap that for, for us a little bit? Yes. There was a book I read uh, years ago by uh, Dr. Jenny Wade, who is a transpersonal psychologist. And she wrote this book called Transx, and she uh, put out she does research, serious research at a prestigious university. I'm sorry, I don't remember which one. She put out a research question. So this was not a section of people. This was just people who chose to answer the call. She said, have you ever had transcendent sex experiences? And a lot of people wrote in and they reported amazing things. They reported um, um, channeling entities they reported seeing lights and fireworks which sounds corny but actual fireworks um, being met by alien beings turning into animals like shape-shifting um, sense of oneness um, speaking in tongues just all kinds of experiences that came through sex and um, not asked for very surprising and some of these experiences were frightening and some were overwhelmingly blissful. So she compiled this as a, a starting point for you know, what's going on here. And I um, had read that and I was thinking about these um, tantric sex experience my husband and I had been having where we were on the tantric orgasm for six or seven hours. And I started putting together uh, this talk that I give about um, what, are the, what are the similarities between a psychedelic experience uh, sexual experience, how you can kind of get psychedelic, how you can be in psychedelic type states through sex drugs, or how drugs can affect uh, sexual experience, kind of drawing some um, similarities uh, between those two. And I, then I just had some um, preliminary uh, suggestions for people who want to start uh, where you can't make transcendent sex happen. As far as I know, you can't, um, um, you know, 
<laughs> we were at a Tantra seminar once where this um, woman, we were being told that a certain practice would take about two hours. And this woman goes, I don't have two hours. Can we have the hack? <laughs> <laughs> and um, there, I don't think there's a hack for transcendent sex, uh, maybe taking psychedelic drugs, maybe MDMA or something. But um, as far as what we've been able to discover, and again, I haven't find too much research on this, is that there needs to be space and time like you would make for a psychedelic experience. There needs to be complete trust with your partner. Most partners don't have complete trust. So my husband and I teach some workshops where we talk about how to get to that state of complete trust. I know I never had complete trust with any of my previous partners. Mm -hmm. And um, there has to be a sense of inviting the divine, not going for the goals as we were talking about earlier, not going for the goal of transcending sex, but being open to what the universe might want to gift you with being open and, and inviting and to be open and inviting in sex is actually kind of frightening to the ego or to um, our sense of limitation or to our sense of what's possible for us. Um, intimacy is very, can be very frightening. So all of these things, it's beautiful for a person on a personal and spiritual growth path because it brings up right there, where's my cutting edge of growth? Oh, I'm afraid to go a little bit further. Oh, that's what I can work on. That's where I can uh, relax and open. That's where my barriers are to more ecstasy and bliss. Oh, I can breathe into that. And I can do it in the presence of someone who loves me. I don't have to run off and, you know, I'm a therapist, so you can do it in my office, but I don't have to run off to the therapist's office and hide and talk about this stuff. If I um, trust my partner enough, we can just be here and talk about my edge of pleasure. I'm scared to go further. Let's just be here together with that. And notice that if we continue to open and open, that's where more and more bliss is. More pain too. We have to be willing to open to that as well. It's all about opening, I think, opening to love. Wonderful. I know many would wanna take that journey. And you mentioned um, safety around sex and it is a very vulnerable space. Definitely. And a lot of times unwrapping those relational issues, you know, where a person doesn't feel safe sexually, I think is very important. Yeah. What we found is, and what a lot of what we teach is that most couples don't have great sex lives, the sex lives they want, because there's so much baggage between them that's been shoveled under the rug. Mm -hmm. We don't, we don't really want to talk about that. And, you know, I've, in my life, I'm not like that now because I see that all of that unspoken stuff creates a climate of not safety. And we can't bring that up. We can't talk about that. We can't, um, uh, we're not really like that. Um, if I bring that up, it'll cause an explosion. All these things that happen to, in the daily life of couples, we try to help get that stuff talked about, cleaned out, um, create a clear channel of energy between the two people. And that then that shows up in the bedroom and in the sex life. That's great. I also think that people don't realize that blame, shame, and judgment, you know, that happens outside of the bedroom filters into the bedroom. Completely. Thanks for bringing that up completely. Because mm -hmm. you cannot be your uh, free sexual wild self if you're feeling shamed, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So clearing that in your own self, your own, like we said earlier about our own internal ageism, clearing your own shame that your body is aging, or maybe you think it's quite sexy and beautiful that it is. I told my, told my husband, I said, you know, this is really weird. My eyes have changed, but when I see like on your stomach where you're, it's getting a little older, I said, it's weird. I find it really sexy because I find it sexy on you too. So <laughs> we need, we need these attitudes trade the mainstream culture a little bit that bodies are doing wonderful weird things and it doesn't necessarily mean it's less attractive or ugly or whatever we've been told it is it could actually be very sexy because it's very alive yes <laughs> i love that that's great we weren't expecting that one but it was a great uh it was a great treat <laughs> that's awesome so let's unwrap a little bit of the breathing and techniques that you use with tantra um, great. Um, most of it is um, dropping down into the body because we have been taught that it's normal to live as a head walking around assessing everything. And the body is kind of this thing that's coming along with us. That's kind of a problem. 
you know, it doesn't, isn't shaved right. It's kind of doesn't have abs and it's does the boobs are uneven and my dick's not big enough and all these problems we have and it's not energetic enough. And now our digestion isn't right. All these things, it's just kind of a problem. And um, uh, so we don't really want to live there. And I thought that I had a lot of body consciousness before I went to the ashram in India because the Tantra ashram, because I worked out and I did conscious more, uh, tried to do more clean eating and I was a dancer and I did yoga and I thought I'll have body consciousness. And when I got to the ashram, I realized those are all things I've been doing to my body. I'm not actually living in it. My consciousness is not in my body. I'm always trying to manipulate my body to do something. And that was sexually too. You're trying to manipulate your body into becoming an orgasm machine. And there's nothing wrong with uh, learning how to uh, have orgasms, especially for women who have never had them. That's a journey that I went on earlier. But later on, like many uh, areas of mastery, what you learn early on, you have to drop later on. So anyway, treating your body sexually as something that needs to perform, something that needs to do this and that. It needs to have, here's how to have bigger orgasms and so on. And now I need to squirt and all these ideas about what we want to make the body do. And um, in Tantra, it's, it's more like, let's, let's get rid of all that and actually see if we can drop my consciousness down into the body. So one thing Osho said is imagine yourself as a headless person. This is really helpful to me. Think of myself walking around like the headless horseman without a head. And then my consciousness drops down more into my heart. And apparently a lot of Eastern traditions, they see that the, the uh, center of the body is actually down around the belly and that there's actually a seat of consciousness in the belly, which makes me laugh because that's like the dinosaurs had another brain in their, <laughs> in their abdomen. So kind of like dinosaur you don't have the head telling us what's going on we're feeling into our experience so when you're actually in the body you can feel just like dogs you know dogs like somebody comes into the room and they sniff to see if you're safe or not well we actually have that capacity i think about this with the me too movement we're so cut off that we kind of go oh that person doesn't seem safe but i'm going to go anyway or I think most people can talk about a lousy relationship they got into earlier in their life where some little voice said, that person isn't safe, but they're so cute, I'm going to go for it. You know? And if we were really listening to the body, we would go, mm -mm. just like a dog, not going there. I don't care how cute you are. I don't care how good you look on my resume. Not a safe person. We would have much better sex relationships and see who and what is safe. So a lot of it is breathing, let the breath come deeper into the body. We're taught to breathe very shallowly and very rapidly. And that's not a relaxed breath, excuse me. So a relaxed breath, <coughs> excuse me, goes deeper into the body. And that's what we're trying to do with breathing exercises, bring our consciousness more into the body. And this starts for most people, a connection with their bodies that's going to show up in the bedroom, in life, in relationships, in your own pleasure, your own capacity for pleasure. It's just the start of an amazing journey. Even just to realize that I'm not actually in my body, I have a body. And I would like that to become a I'd like to be a body-mind. This starts us out on a wonderful journey. Yes, beautiful. And it's so much different when you come into your body, when you're aware of your body and that meditation, like you said, does help because mm -hmm. you get in the practice mm -hmm. of like up drifting, bring it back, bring it back. Then when you're in your sexual experience and you find yourself drifting occasionally, you bring it back to your skin. Exactly. What I've learned is that a focus on that point of contact where my partner's touching where my partner's skin is touching my skin. And if I keep that awareness, come back to that point of awareness, it's not just focus. Some uh, more conventional sexual techniques focus, talk about focusing on your own pleasure, which can be fine. It's better than uh, focusing on baseball scores, but it's not inclusive of the partner. So it can be a little bit uh, 
uh, just me, me, me. And I want to be focusing on the connection, the mm -hmm. divine connection. I think that's what everyone's very hungry for. Yes. Yeah, I think so too. And being able, you know, the eye gazing where you're staring into your lover's eyes or you're feeling their skin on your skin, all very important moments for making that connection. How can we, so, yeah. yeah, go ahead. That's one thing that we do practice in workshops and most Tantra workshops will have a section where you gaze into each other's eyes. And in India, we used to do, go around in a circle and we'd look in each other's eyes for 20 minutes. And it was just like, everyone would be sobbing because you cannot look in really deeply into another person's eyes without falling in love with them. It doesn't matter who they are. You see their soul, you see their humanity, you see their vulnerability. You start seeing how you would have judged this person for not being some cultural ideal of what the culture has decided is beautiful. It breaks your heart to think, oh my God, I used to see them that way. And now I see their soul and I'm in love with them. It's it's a tremendous experience um, to be able to do that. Now, you don't have to do it for 20 minutes. In my workshops, I have people do it for one minute and they're freaking out because they've never really just shared an eye gaze with another person for one minute. But it's it's funding to share that, first of all, to open your eyes and let someone deeply look in or to look deeply into someone else. It's The soul is there. And... Yeah some sort of divine connection happens there as you as most people in the audience probably know when they've shared that with a lover that that's when you just fall in love it's a very powerful thing that we've been given this ability to just stop be with each other look in each other's eyes and the heart will break open love is there we don't usually call that love. We call we have to fall in love with someone who looks a certain way, looks like Prince or Princess Charming. It's really, if you can just sit down, this was my um, third book was called Tantric Dating, which is dating with the ability to just sit down with anyone. It doesn't have to be your future partner and just share an eye gaze and fall in love. People are so afraid to fall in love with somebody if they're not gonna um, marry them. But um, in India, we would just, when I was in these Tantra groups, we would just fall in love with each other. And it, it wasn't about whether or not you meet my criteria. It was like, I've seen in your eyes, I know who you are. I feel love for you. Yes. And that is a world that I would like to live in is where more of us are in the frequency of all that other stuff. It's fine. It's interesting. We all enjoy looking at, looking at a good looking person, but when you fall in love with everybody, your idea of who's good looking gets really expanded. It's not just the people who belong in advertising. It's like, wow, most people are good looking. Yes. <laughs> it's just full of this beautiful world. So yes, beautiful minds and hearts and souls out there. And I love that being in the frequency of love. Uh -huh. That's wonderful. Yes. So let's talk about your book a little bit. Tantric dating, bringing love and awareness to the dating process. Can you share a little bit about Yes, that? I would love to. I, um, I had that experience at the Tantra Ashram. We were all in love with each other. And then I came back to the West and tried to enter the uh, OkCupid okay Bumble uh, dating world. And I, was, I didn't, didn't know what to do. I couldn't really um, put that together with being a spiritual person. And I, I a lot of good to it because you go on there and you see how many attractive people there are and um, this whole shopping metaphor though, it just was, I couldn't figure out how to put it together. So I dated, I decided I had a certain birthday and I decided I'm going to find the love of my life. And I was too old according to, uh, the conventional wisdom and, you know, not the standard kind of beauty, just an average kind of person. And I just thought a lot of people were saying you're, you know, a brother is going to find love. And I decided I was going to do it no matter what. And I set out, it took me three and a half years and I found the love of my life or he found me, however that works. And if, if I hadn't put that three and a half years of solid labor and I wouldn't have found him, I had to really work on myself. I had to get rid of ideas I still had. Like I just shared about my own unattractiveness, which I no longer have. I studied pickup with pickup artists. I read books. I went back to therapy and so on. And I kind of distilled this into my book called Tantric Dating. It's a little book. It's an easy uh, read, and it. But it's um, 
I think it's all people need to know. I've had people have had kind of a life-changing experiences from it. They've told me because it's about, we don't realize that the dating world as the conventional world has set it up is very unloving. It's like, if you don't look a certain way, I, you're, I'm, I'm, you are crap to me. You know, you are, we, we even laugh at people. Oh my God, this guy, Oh, he's so, this and that. It's very unloving. And so we're trying to find love by being unloving. This doesn't compute. It took me a while to figure this out. It's like, so I would go on to these dates. I went on um, 150 first dates and then second dates and third dates during this time. And at this time, certainly I thought this is ridiculous, not going to happen. And uh, I started noticing, how can you find love when you're in an unloving frame? How can you find love when you go home and laugh with your girlfriends about what a creep this was? How can you find love when you're... Um, you're uh, judging people on their looks, their financial status, their this and that, instead of things that really matter, like, are they kind? Do they ever spend time or energy on charity? Or do they, um, have they taken care, do they have a pet? Do they take care of things? Do they have any kind of spiritual life? We're not, look, we're not taught to look for that. It's like, here's your shopping list. Does he meet your shopping criteria? So it's this whole consumerist mentality instead of, I'm overflowing with love and who, who, will, uh, who is going to come into this frequency. So I wrote this book about raising our own frequency, starting to see everyone as lovable and uh, doing this, changing my own dating habits into more of this tantric perspective, someone better than my wildest dreams ever showed up. So I wanted to share that. I, I, I was teaching before COVID, I was teaching um, a tantric dating workshop uh, once a month in Hollywood where uh, singles could come together, actually experience that by uh, doing some tantric exercises, like looking in each other's eyes, uh, feeling the radiance of the person, um, a little bit of teaching about what we're talking about now and several relationships that I know of. I don't know how many that I don't know. I've came out of that with people saying, this is a great way to meet people. So we just look at ourselves if we're still single. I had to do this. It was painful. I had to realize the reason I haven't met any, I, so I'm, the, most of the guys I met were kind of half loving towards me. And I had to realize I'm half loving. I think I'm a loving person. I have friends. I have a cat. I give money to charity. I wasn't really completely. I wasn't as loving as the person I was hoping to attract. So there's your law of manifestation. If I want to attract somebody loving, I have to be more loving. Mm -hmm. So that was my process of learning to become a more loving person. And then I could attract love instead of half love. Nice. And I love how you use the mirroring, you know, as a self-reflection, <clears throat> open yourself up more to love. Yeah. If I'm attracting uh, guys that I'm saying are womanizers or just creeps or just interested in younger women. If I'm attracting only men that I think are interested in younger women, what do I think about myself? Mm -hmm. Because when I got really clear on, I don't believe this cultural nonsense about women get less attractive as they get older. I used to fall into it. I was like, Oh no one wants to date me because I'm older. As soon as I worked that out of my system, I started dating men from 28 to 68. Nice. And Age was no longer an issue for me. So what showed up was no longer an issue. In that's fact, the 28 year old was begging me to be my boyfriend. And I said, no, that's just not going to work. But that's what can happen. And he was a look, it was not some, he was a, he was a pretty decent guy, master's degree, all this stuff. <clears throat> and that's what can show up when you heal yourself. So you talk about mirroring, you heal your internal self. And then what shows up in the world is much, much different. Those guys never showed up when I thought I was less attractive because I was an older person. Isn't it amazing how that works? Now, since I think I'm a, a more attractive than I've ever been, I walk down the street and guys will be getting my attention. And I'm like, really? Do you know how old I am? But that happens when you're on the inside radiating, mm -hmm. have radiance. Yes. Beautiful, Catherine. And what other workshops are you doing now? Uh, we are starting a series. We have a couple of workshops that um, have been, we've had to take, of course, all our workshops online. So mm -hmm. it used to be day long. Or two, so we have one that's been 
um, pretty successful called um, Tantra, the science of creating your soulmate. So, so soulmates are sort of this idea that they're going to drop from heaven or something. And it's like, no, actually we create soulmates by our work on ourselves and our work on their relationship. So we use some tantric principles of embodiment as things we've been discussing in this um, podcast about um, raising our frequency of love. If we really want love with our partner, we have to become more loving. It's not up to me, not up to him or her to be more loving. I have to raise my own frequency on that. Um, Talking things through a lot of the points we've been talking about so far. And then we have um, the companion to that is Tantra, the foundations of conscious touch, because um, to even get to some of those wilder, famous tantric principles, you can just do them, but it's not going to make any difference if you don't get into this meditative, conscious, mindful touch. So we do an out workshop on that. And then in January, we're launching um, what's called the intimacy teachings, which is going to be those two and a couple more. So my partner, Greg, and I, um, since we came together and we had this uh, amazing connection and had worked so long on ourselves to be able to come together and find each other, we wanted to share with other people how, first of all, that relationships like ours are possible, because I have many people say to me, do you really know people in good relationships? I want to say, yes, we do. We do. We have one. We created it. And um, we want to share not only that there are um, great relationships, but here's how you can create one in your own life as a spiritual person. When I, one of the things I forgot to mention about how I first got into Tantra is I had read some books, but I went to this party. I was probably in my third, late 30s or early 40s. And I went to this party and there was this older couple and they were just the radiance coming out of them. They were the most alive people I'd ever seen. And I was like, who are you guys? What do you have? What do you know? I want to, I want to have what you're having. <laughs> I want to learn what you know. And they were Tantra people. And that's when I first saw that these older people with this radiance as a couple, that's what I wanted, whatever they were doing. I wanted, I wanted that. That's awesome. Yes. Hoping in my years ahead that that's the same for me. You're on your way. Yes. And you also have a book, Guide to Spiritual LA. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that's my newest book. I, um, I set out, you know, it's, first of all, um, my friends in other cities are like, why would you live in LA? It's so superficial. And, you know, especially people in the Bay Area hate Los Angeles. And it's just, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, because it's a really spiritual place. You're like, what? Even people who live here don't know. So I just, um, people think I did so much research. Actually, the whole thing was fun for me. I was just really great places here where there's very uh, strong Shakti outpouring as strong as I ever felt in any of these holy places in India. So we have like where Paramahansa Yogananda started his whole empire here. And he's the one that wrote Autobiography of a Yogi and Steve Jobs read his book yearly and so on. It affected millions of people worldwide. So he came here and started it all. Mm-hmm. And then we have, uh, oh, just this wild cast of characters. Some of them are very eccentric and some of them are more mainstream, but we have Amy, Semp- I, uh, in the back of the book, I have the list of the top 10 spiritual badass women. <laughs> we have Amy Semple McPherson, who started the Foursquare Church, and she was like sexy, and she was this great showman. She would put on these Pentecostal revivals where she'd have the devil chase her around the stage with a pitchfork and so on. And she faked her own. I mean, there's just these amazing stories. Pentecostalism started here. You think it started in the deep South, but it actually started in a little house here in, in LA where uh, this uh, black preacher was preaching and somebody started speaking in tongues and the radiance came out of this house and people all over LA could feel it. And they were drawn to this place and they were celebrating in the streets like two or 3,000 people in the streets and they were dancing up and down on the porch and the porch fell off the house. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And you can still go there and feel some of the radiance. I mean, it's just amazing here in Los Angeles where you think you have, you know, the profane and the sacred. It's like you have these amazing. So I put together this book. I went around, took snapshots of everything and put it together. And I'm hearing that it's a fun read and it's 
it's easy because it's just little blips you read here. You don't have to read the whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, there's little tours you can take when we can go out and about again. So it's really fun to put together and um, I hope people like it. That's fun. <laughs> great. Yeah, you got a lot of great reviews on it. It looks like a fantastic book. Thanks. <laughs> Is there anything you'd like to share with our audience before we go? Hmm. I think that um, if you are attracted to this tantric path, uh, you don't need to wait for the next tantra workshop. You can just start, as we said, just wherever you are, you can just see if your breath wants to deepen a little bit. See if you want to feel in your feelings what you're feeling. If you're feeling your chair, if you're feeling the air, if you're feeling your lover's hand on your thigh, just tune into that. Tune into what's right. Doesn't mean becoming a positive thinker uh, because that sometimes that can be forcing ourselves to do what we don't want to do. But we just focus on how is that feeling with a sense of curiosity. Just curious about what happens if I breathe a little deeper. Oh, there's where it stops and doesn't want to go any deeper. What's going on there? Hmm, interesting. Do I want my lever to massage that? Do I want to massage it myself? Interesting. So you, you can just start this tantric exploration anytime and, um, and uh, the um, more enjoyment will follow. Yes. And how do people reach you, Catherine? Uh, you can go to my website or um, YouTube. I have a bunch of YouTube uh, videos on there. Uh, Facebook. My Instagram is a little bit weak. So anyway, my C-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E-A-U-M-A-N on any of those social media platforms or my website. And also, as you found me on event, also um, we've got meetups in several cities. So because um, everything's online now. So um, we can meet online or... Uh, you know, send me an email, however you'd like to be in contact. I would love that. Great. I highly recommend it. It was a fantastic workshop. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Thank you. I really appreciated it. Very eye-opening and you dove into a lot of um, different aspects. I really appreciated it. Yeah. Thanks for Great. coming. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. And thank you everyone for joining me today. Again, this is Liz on Raise the Vibe with Liz and have a great day, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's show on Raise the Vibe with Liz. If you like this content and want to support me, please go to Patreon at Raise the Vibe with Liz or click the link in the description of this show. And remember, change starts with you. So get out there and raise the vibe. Thank you, everyone.